on the subject, what Easter means to me. And one student wrote, egg salad sandwiches for the next two weeks. (laughs) And another kids leader asked the group, why do we celebrate Easter? This leader was trying to evoke some some response, and, and the children gave a variety of answers, and one answered because of the Easter bunny, and another one answered Easter eggs, and another one answered more candy, and another one answered, oh, it's springtime, and you know, all these uh, traditional answers. And the leader said, well, these are, are good as far as they go, but, but those are Easter traditions or symbols. But what is the reason why we celebrate Easter? Like, what happened at the very first Easter? Who can tell me? And it was quite a long pause, and it was, it was kind of a quiet time in that little room for a while. And then one little girl got up courage to raise her hand, and she said, Easter celebrates Jesus coming out of the tomb. And, and the leader got so excited, and, and the leader said, yes, that, finally, that is the correct answer, and I knew it would come out sooner or later. And just puffed up with pride, the little one went on and said, then Jesus looks to see if he can see his shadow, and if he can, we have six more weeks of winter. Have you ever wondered what bunny rabbits and colored eggs have to do with the resurrection of Jesus anyway? Well, the short answer is this, absolutely nothing. The longer answer is that rabbits and eggs were both symbols of springtime and new life in many ancient Near Eastern cultures. In fact, some historians claim that the tradition of hiding colored eggs in a field for children to find dates back to ancient Babylon, many centuries before Jesus was born. And no one's quite sure where the name Easter comes from. You'll find it once in some versions of Scripture, but it's an added name. It's not part of the original translation. Where did that come from? There are a lot of theories. Some say it comes from the ancient Germanic calendar because their word for April is actually akin to Easter. Others believe the name Easter is derived from the Oster or Esther, the Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring for whom a spring festival was held annually. Others saw it as a connection to the Babylonian goddess of spring called Ishtar, others even to the Phoenician goddess Astarte, let me just tell you, there are a lot of choices for, from which you can, uh, you, you can pick, and you can take any one of them. You might be right, you might not. I don't know. Nobody really seems to know, and nobody can say conclusively, this is where we got this idea for calling this Easter. Having said that, far from attempting to Christianize pagan springtime uh, festivals of any kind, early Christians um, intentionally chose to establish a rival celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, and it took place on what we would call the Sunday morning. There were no Sundays then, or Saturdays, or Wednesdays, but the days of the week hadn't been named, but they, they took place on the Sunday morning following the Passover celebration in early spring. 
Jesus essentially usurped springtime celebrations of all sorts all across the globe. So early Christians readily adopted the idea of the eggs simply as symbols of new life and birth. And while the world has all but forgotten the Greco-Roman gods of ancient mythology, they are annually reminded of this fact. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he changed the world forever. Let me ask you, what difference does Easter make? Let me ask you, does it really matter? Like, how does it impact the way you live your life on a daily basis? You see, even people who believe that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day sometimes have difficulty articulating its relevancy to their lives. It's a fact. It's something that happened. It's even historically proven. But they have a hard time bringing that down to everyday living. And whether you're a follower of Christ, maybe you're sitting here today and you're still kind of examining his claims on your life, or you want to, uh, you know, you want to know more, or you're here just because you're, you're, a, you're a sincere seeker and you're close to a faith and you don't know exactly what your next step is, whatever, just, just hold on. Because I want, you, I want to invite you to travel back with me to that first resurrection morning, we'll call it Resurrection Sunday, just so we're all on the same page, when Jesus actually appeared to his faithful followers. And when we go back there, we're going to explore the significance of the resurrection and the difference it can make in your life. And before we do, let me just say this. I'm here to tell you that the single greatest symbol of new life is found in an empty tomb. Now, if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, uh, or your, uh, your app, your, um, your device, whatever you might be carrying today, your tablet, um, and hopefully everybody can get on this morning, um, we're going to John chapter 20, and I want to read just a few verses with you and for you, and we're going to actually put them up on the screen as well. And feel free to read right along with me if you care to, and uh, nobody around you will be uh, we'll be sorry that you're doing that. Matter of fact, they'll be blessed to hear you read along with me. So starting at verse 19 of John chapter 20, and by the way, this is the crucial part of Scripture that I'm going to deal with today. I'm not going to be jumping around on you a whole lot, but just right here in John chapter 20, I think we have the basis of everything we believe. So on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus was a very turbulent time, and they, the, the new believers who were, who were holding to this new idea and this whole new concept, they seemed to be running from authorities all the time, and they had to stay hidden, and they had to stay uh, undercover, and they moved from place to place. So when we read this, after Christ has died, and they've kind of left hopeless, and they're not sure what's going on. Here they are with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, tell me what he said, peace be with you. Just 
think about that. Just think about that. And then we move to verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were slightly amused. They were almost excited. They were nearly moved with a tad of emotion, like we are most of the time, even in church. Wicked excited at ball games. Read that with me. The disciples were oh, when they saw the Lord. They were joyed. Over. Have you, ever, have you ever been joyful? Have you ever been over joyful? Okay. Prove it. Now, again, because they were a little hard of hearing, and like me, it, was a, it takes a little while to get through that thick wall. And again, Jesus said, what did he say? Tell me. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Hmm. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then we go down to verse 30 of that same chapter, John chapter 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now, this is John writing this. This is his account of what happened here. He says he performed many miracles. And then he said, These are written. In other words, all that I've written so far. These accounts are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You may have a version of Scripture that says Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the sent one. Jesus is the one coming to save us, whatever. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing... Now, here's the crux of the whole matter. You may have life in his name. Wow. Wow. So let's talk this morning, just for a few minutes, about a life worth living. Uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither have written many, many, many wonderful songs. As a matter of fact, they have written more songs that will be sung by Christian people than anyone presently alive or even before them. And Fanny Crosby wrote 8,000 hymns, so um, that's quite a record. How many have ever heard of the Gaithers? So I know I'm not... Okay, good. Gloria wrote one in particular. She wrote some of the greatest stuff, honestly. Back in the 1960s, it came while she was expecting her first child... Bill and Gloria had gone through and were going through some really terrible times, some real problems in life. It's funny, isn't it, how we look at certain people and think, I bet they've just lived 50-some years and married bliss and never had a problem. It's amazing how we think that, isn't it, about the other guy. They were really going through it. Bill had been seriously, seriously ill. Their music had been criticized all over the place for having no place in the church. It wasn't spiritual enough. It didn't have meaning. It wouldn't last. People wouldn't, wouldn't get it. Hmm. On New Year's Eve that year, Gloria wrote this, and I quote, I sat alone in the darkness thinking about the rebellious world we live in and all of our problems. 
I even thought about our baby, first baby, yet unborn. And I asked who in their right mind would bring a child into a world like this. But then something happened. She said, I can't quite explain what happened in that next moment. But suddenly I felt a release from all of it. The panic that had begun to build inside of me was gently dispelled by this reassuring presence which I couldn't explain and still can't. And a soft voice inside of me kept saying, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. And she went on to say, then I knew I could have that baby and I could face the future with optimism and with trust, for I had been reminded that it was all worth it. Why? Just because he lives. Out of that experience, she wrote these lyrics. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living, just because he lives. Ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb, he changed everything for you, for me, and for the whole world. I want to share with you a few simple ways that the resurrection has personally and literally impacted my life and the lives of untold myriads of believers. And they, these things can all be found right here. And that's why I say we're staying here pretty much in John chapter 20 because I want you to see the, the, the strength and the power of the words that we're dealing with. First, a life worth living can boldly declare this. I want you to hear me. If you don't have this, I want you to hear me. A life worth living can boldly declare, I have peace. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, and and, and let me just back up for half a second. When I say peace, you say, well, exactly what are you talking about? I'm talking about the peace of God, and I'm talking about peace with God. Because you can't know the peace of God until you're at peace with God. And Jesus appeared to his disciples that first Easter Sunday. And the very first words out of his mouth were, Peace be with you. The peace Jesus spoke of was more than a sense of of calm or tranquility. It was a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word that they, they still use, the Jews still use it today, it was the word shalom. And when you meet a Jewish person and you say shalom, that, that's an endearing greeting because that just means, doesn't just mean have a good day. That's the best we can do in our Western culture. Have a good day. That goes not very far compared to shalom. And that word shalom is pregnant with meaning. It's unbelievable. It meant wholeness. It meant completeness. It means serenity. It means harmony of life. At the very center of this peace is peace with God. Reconciliation with the one who breathed life into this very universe. It means a lot. Just that one word. As a pastor for quite a while, 
<laughs> over 40 years, you can imagine that I've preached and conducted a lot of funeral services for the young, for the old, and for everybody in between. Oftentimes, especially when the person who died didn't seem to be, as we call it today, a religious person, or they didn't regularly attend church or have much interest in the things of God, at least openly. We never know that. We can't judge another's heart. But oftentimes, when that person dies, one of the family members, it just seems inevitable it's going to happen, they'll get me aside and they'll tell me that he or she had made their peace with God. Now here's the truth. It's a harsh truth and it doesn't always go down easy, but can I just tell you that making your peace with God is impossible. You can't do that. We are not in a position to make peace with God. Let me explain. Hold the thought. Don't ramble on yet. Just listen. When God created mankind, i.e. Adam and Eve, he gave them the Garden of Eden as a perfect paradise. He came and walked with them, and he talked with them, and they had perfect peace with God. Then came the tragedy of the story. Sin. And humanity was alienated from that moment from its creator. That wonderful peace was shattered. I mean, the earth, the animals, mankind, the entire universe was then cursed. And that means today we live in an imperfect world. Maybe you were aware of that. Every one of us since that time has sinned bar none. No exceptions. Every person who's ever drawn breath from the time of Adam and Eve to March the 27th, 2016, has sinned. Everyone. And our sins have put a chasm between us and God. And no matter how hard we try, and no matter what we do, we always fall short, and those shortcomings result in everlasting death. Now, isn't that fantastic? Isn't that a great message? Of course it's not. It's terrible. It's awful. And it's all a result of man's sin. But here is the good news. We can't stay there. Our sins separate us from God. Hey, let's say that with me. Why don't you say that with me? Our sins separate from God. So if peace with God is ever going to be restored, it's going to be up to him to find a way. And that's when Jesus comes in. For he stepped into humanity at its worst and offered his very best. That bears repeating. He stepped into humanity at its worst when it had no hope. There was no help on the way. There was no future. There was no eternal plan for Man just couldn't get there. And Jesus steps into humanity at its worst, and he offers his very best. 
For God so loved, not just loved, He so loved, we can't even describe that word so, that He gave His one and only Son. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And I want you to hear me very carefully because this will dispel some of the teaching that goes around today. Jesus didn't die on that cross for our attitudes. He didn't die on that cross for our history. He didn't die on that cross for your past. He didn't die on that cross for your mistakes or your messes. He didn't die on the cross for that empty promise that we keep making that, oh God, I'm sorry, I'll keep trying harder. I promise. Listen very carefully to me. It can't be simpler than this, and it can't be more profound at the same time. Jesus Christ died on that cross for all of our sins. Yours, mine, past, present, and future. I give him glory for that. His shed blood was our only way out of this mess. Jesus died. He rose from the grave so that you and I could have what? Peace with God. And because he lives, I have peace with God. Because of him, I have a relationship with my creator, the creator of the, of the whole universe. And you can have that relationship too. You can know him personally. You can talk to him just whenever you want to. You can ask his forgiveness. You can lean on him in time of trouble. You can experience his love, his grace, his compassion. And because of Jesus, you can have peace with God. And you can have a life worth living. Because a life worth living will also confidently say, I have purpose. I want you to catch the next thing Jesus said. He tells his disciples in John 20, 21, he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Where, where exactly was he sending them? That's right. Everywhere. In other words, they were going to become ambassadors for Christ. And their mission was going to be, they would, if they choose to accept it, and they pretty much all did, what was to spread the word about the cross and uh, his death and burial and the, and the message of his resurrection and the empty tomb and share that message of Jesus with their friends and with their neighbors and with their relatives and especially with all the religious crowd. They would use their love, they would use their lives, they would use their lips to testify about the power of the cross and the promise of eternal life. You see, friend, at some point in your life, you have to ask yourself, you have to, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Now, science attempts to answer the first one. Didn't do a very good job, but they're still working on it. Philosophy wrestles with the second one. But only Jesus has a meaningful answer to all three. Matter of fact, all four. Because the fourth question is, after these three, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And how do I get there? Jesus has the answer and is the answer for all of these. 
See, the search for the meaning of life has puzzled people, and it probably is puzzling to some people sitting in this room today. Don't you worry about that. You're only one of thousands, millions, that have wondered about this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. People are still trying to figure it out. I see articles in the newspaper. I see articles in a magazine. I see articles online, and I think, ah, this one... Somebody's really done their homework here, and they're going to have the answer. And it's some sort of, you look at it and say, well, this is kind of like a religious overtone, and it's going to talk about Christianity, and it's going to talk about things that I'm familiar with, and it's going to be a blessing. And they're going to answer some questions for some people. And I just can't wait to get into this. And you get about six paragraphs into this, you say, here's just another one. Somebody guessing. Somebody coming up with some kind of a theory, hoping that it might be right, hoping that it might even sound good to God. You see, we keep asking all of these questions. Where did I come from? Who am I? What is life all about? What is the real meaning of life? Here's the reason we keep asking the question, and I knew you wanted to know. We keep asking the question primarily because we typically begin at the wrong starting point. What is that wrong starting point? Ourselves. See, we draw the circle around ourselves. Nobody else is allowed in. And we say, ah, the answer to life must be in here. So, what do I want my life to be? Hmm? What should I do with my life? What are my goals? What are my ambitions? What are my dreams? What about my future? What about my feelings? But focusing on ourselves and focusing on myself and focusing on yourself will never reveal your life purpose. I do not know if anyone has ever told you or not. And you're not to blame if nobody has but I'm going to tell you now. Life is not all about you. I went over like a lead balloon, didn't it? <laughs> Why? Because we're so wrapped up in ourselves. We didn't come in here with a clear mind, ready to hear what God had to say. We came in with, you don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how I feel. You don't know how many doctor appointments I've had. You don't know blah, blah, blah. See, that's the wrong starting point. Life is not all about you. Life is all about him. Even in creation, he hung the universe in an expanse of emptiness. He hung the stars upon nothing. Try hanging your hat on nothing sometime. That'll keep you busy for a day. He turned nothing into something, and then he hung it on nothing. Just read the Bible. See, it's all about him. It's all about him. Here, we hear Paul's words in Colossians 1, 15. He said, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created. He is supreme over all creation. Hear this, hear this. Everything, including us, was created through him and for him. Because of Jesus, I know why I exist. I know why I'm on planet Earth. I know what I'm supposed to do with my time here on Earth. And because he lives, my life has purpose. So that life worth living gives you peace. That life worth living gives you purpose. And having a life worth living, you also have the promise of eternal life. At the end of this encounter with the risen Christ, John wrote this in verse 31. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He's the one sent to save. He's the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, we add so many things to that verse. Doesn't say by believing and being baptized. Doesn't say by believing and joining the church. Doesn't say by believing and doing all good, no bad. Doesn't say by believing and just cleaning up your act. Doesn't say by believing and... It says, by believing, by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the promise also of John 3.16, those of you that know it, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. It is so noteworthy, so noteworthy. That all throughout his ministry, Jesus promised life everlasting to those who believe in him. That was his redundant message. It's over and over and over. Believe, and you shall have eternal life. Didn't matter whether it was the blind man or the woman at the well or, or the Pharisee. It didn't matter who it was. That was the message. In John 10 and verse 10, very clearly Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it what? More abundantly. I love things in abundance. Who doesn't? Especially good things. Hmm? Have you ever had a more abundant? I am come that you might have life. And some of you people are living on that edge of life and just a little bit more than life. That's, that's, you're not claiming what's yours. And you don't work for this. You don't earn this. You don't do certain things to, to, to achieve it. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It is a present tense possession. Just live it. Just take it. Just use it. Just employ it. Just be that. An abundant life person. Folks, it's that abundant life that we anticipate as believers. seems like there are times in our lives where we look forward to that. We really want that. We yearn for that, but we don't seem to ever, some people ever catch it or ever really grab hold of it. Many people today, if you talk to them, and I talk to a lot of people about these issues, and, and, and people tell me, well, I just, I'm just, all that stuff you've got in your, you know, in your portfolio, that's fine. I, I'm not into that. But, but I'm just hoping for a long and happy life. 
I, I just want to say in, in love, there's nothing wrong with that. There's not a thing wrong with having that desire. Who wouldn't want to have a long and happy life? Who wouldn't? But can I tell you something better? Jesus offers you more than that. Jesus offers you something greater than that long and happy life. He offers so much more. He offers you a forever. He offers you an eternity. He offers you life without end. He said, even though you die, you shall live. Wow. The promise of life everlasting is the heartbeat of hope. If you don't have this, you don't have hope. It's the promise of everlasting life. You can lay yourself down for the very last time and know that you're going to be raised to new life in the presence of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and enjoy God forever. Wow. Wow. The resurrection of Jesus does what? It ensures and it assures that we too will be resurrected. That's quite a hope. See, our hope doesn't just end with this life. It goes far beyond it. It doesn't end with our death. It goes far beyond it. Oh, Bob, I want to live a long, happy life. Just kind of, you know, cruise along, not cause any ripples, and just have a little company of friends, and roof over my head, and enough to eat, and just, yeah, live good number of years, at least my three score and ten, maybe, maybe a few more. Yeah. Just be happy. Happy, happy, happy. That's the big thing today. Happy, 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 happy. Don't know where that's promised, but it's somewhere in there. We'll find it. Let me tell you something. Jesus offers you more than that. He offers you eternity. He, he offers you life everlasting. He offers you something beyond this life. And the problem is, because we're so engrossed in this life and in ourselves and all the people like one who's in that circle around us, we can't even think about life beyond this. We can't even think about an existence that goes beyond this life. And it's time, folks, it's time. Think of it this way. Heard this story, I read the story some time back, and this happened a long time back. A man who was a follower of Confucius and had tried a lot of different systems became a Christian. And after making it known to his family and friends, some of his closest friends asked him, Why? Would you ever do such a thing? I love his answer. I love his answer. Well, he said, it's like this. 
Suppose you were going down the road. Suddenly, the road forked in two directions. And at that point, you just didn't know which way to go. But at the fork of the road, there were two men. One alive and one dead. Which one would you ask for directions? <laughs> Friend, you can leave here today and try every religion in the world, or you can even try your own little kind of thing where you're going to make it to God somehow, go up your ladder. You're talking to dead people. It's only when you come to Jesus Christ that you talk to a living, breathing, eternal Savior who's not just got your back, he's got your eternity. He's got you covered. Now, I'll get a little less serious for you for a moment to tell you, I said this would be a good morning for confession so here goes. I love Cadbury eggs. <laughs> Not like you couldn't tell that to look, but uh, it's the only kind of eggs I like. I knew it would get an amen. I like Cadbury eggs. Can I say it one more time? Easter is so much more than candy and colored eggs and cartoon bunnies. Easter is the very rock-solid cornerstone of the Christian faith. The celebration of Jesus rising from the grave, conquering death, and giving us the peace of God through peace with God. Purpose for life. The promise of heaven. Man, how could you go wrong? Make no mistake, my friends, that's what today is really all about. That's why we're here. That's why this building exists right now. That's why the greeters hailed you this morning as you came in. That's why all the behind-the-scenes servants in this place today. That's why the singers, that's why the band members, that's why the children and youth teams that's why all of us who follow Jesus and name the name of Jesus and are not ashamed to do so, that's why we're engaged, we're involved. And we are here for you. We care about you and your family. Your family is very dear to you. And they're also very dear to us. See, God loves you and me more than we'll ever know. I reworked that sentence in my notes, trying to come up with a better way to say that, and I just couldn't. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not that eloquent, but I just couldn't. See, God loves you and me more than we will ever know. And worship team, you can prepare to 
Come join me. By his grace, by his grace, by his grace, he gave his one and only son that we could live forever with him. And apart from him, we die. And with him, we live. And if you need to experience the power of Easter, and if you want to have peace with God, and if you want to have purpose for life, and if you want to have the promise of heaven, then I want to ask you to please consider what I've said this morning. <coughs> Think about it all, all of it. And then open a discussion with a loved one. Talk to somebody here. Talk to one of us before you leave. Use the Connect card in your seat pocket. Drop us an email. Text us. Whatever it takes, take that first step, and we'll walk you through it. And let me just tell you this, a word of assurance. Your first step of faith towards God is the last one you will ever take alone. Ever. Ever. So what do we have? We have peace plus purpose plus promise equals the power of Easter. It is life worth living. And as I began, I want to close by saying thank you, thank you, thank you for giving heed to this, the eternal word of the living God. And let me also say, in the name of Christ, I love you. God bless you.